The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Again, my name is Nils. Thank you for being here. If you were not able to connect to that meditation at all, that is totally fine. And if you were, many aspect of it, you can play with it. I've been doing that forgiveness thing for about a week before I go to bed. It's intense. But... Uh, also considering all the people that have been mothers to me. And it's a lovely meditation. You know, I had all these aunts in El Salvador and grandmas. And in our current culture, uh, there's not as much uh, extended family. So sometimes teachers can end up being mothers and so on. So I have these post-it notes. <laughs> so you're going to have a chance to stretch. And I have these writing utensils. And I want you to think of the word divine. It's just a word that's not used very often. But these two hours are in the divine feminine. So what are we talking about? What's in the room? I want you to take of these as a reflection post-it note. Take a writing utensil. What comes up when you think of the word divine? Okay. So come and get one of these. Write the word divine. It doesn't have to be a definition. It can be a doodle. It can be the words that come up. Or it can be a, your definition. Okay? And I will give you three minutes. It's 10.32 once I see that everybody has one, I'll start a timer. Okay, if you need to move around to find someone you don't know, introduce yourself and just kind of see, I mean, divine is just the word that we don't use very often. What came up for you? Just share with somebody, uh, say your name, your gender pronoun, what you like to eat for breakfast, and then what is the divine? Okay, let's come back to the group. Finish your conversations in three. Finish your last thought in two. And everybody here in one. Thank you. I, um, since I was a little kid, I have always loved words. You know, a word is an abbreviation for a concept or a thing, right? And so our poets, our writers have tried to use words to talk about, you know, the present moment, love, and so on. So, um, with, with fussy words like this, like divine or feminine, it, it's kind of, I, I like just sort of explore what other words come up. So, second part of this, you are going to post your note on the divine section. You're going to find a different partner and a different note, and then you're going to talk about the feminine. So, what doodle, what words, what definition comes up when you think of the word feminine? Okay? So, what are the instructions? Take one of these, change partners, 
put that up. It doesn't have to be all at once. You know, you can do one or the other. Okay, go ahead. Find a different partner after you write the divine. So we're going to have a little bit of silence to reflect on what is feminine. So right now we're going to take about three minutes of silent writing to think about what is the, the things that come up when you think of the word feminine. And again, three minutes of silent uh, reflecting what comes up when you think of the word feminine.
We have about one minute. In about 30 seconds, you're going to find a new partner, introduce yourself, share two places you have called home, and share your feminine post-it note. <laughs> what, was, what's, what came up? <Okay>. Finish your conversations in five. Stop your last thoughts in four, in three, and two, and let's come back to the group in one. Thank you for sharing. Uh, you can put your sticky notes on the feminine side. It's interesting, right? In, in uh, today's world, just something simple like, what is the divine feminine? You know, we don't talk about things like this. I uh, just came back from two weeks of these art teachers' conferences, and uh, they asked me to do some mindfulness things. And, uh, you know, afterwards, people are like, that was so useful. And, and I had forgotten that people don't meditate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most of the times that I, I reflect on Dhamma in public has been with meditators. And it's, it's, it, it was such a clear reminder that people are living such busy, stressed out, anxious lives that by just taking 45 minutes in silence was deep for some of these people. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's the world we're living in. So it's, uh, it's such a privilege and a joy to be uh, at Common Ground for people that, whether beginning meditation or doing it for years, it's, it's cultivating the mind, uh, which is great. I have asked AJ to share what has been written on the post-it notes, for two reasons. One is I always like to know what is in the room, what are some of the thoughts that come up. And the other one is that all of us are teachers. And so just by sharing 
what comes up gives you something to kind of masticate mentally, right? Like something to um, work on uh, and have new perspectives. So um, I think it's a good investment of time, actually. So, and if you don't understand the handwriting, don't worry about it. <laughs> it just, you know. So here's the, the microphone. So we'll start with the divine. What do we think that is? <clears throat> okay, so for divine, I see transcendent, sacred, pervasive, aversion, unknown, supreme, inherent in everyone, beautiful. I'm going to skip over some of the ones that I see. I, well, sacred. Um, Love, yeah, maybe that would be good to see. Um, I'm seeing a lot of sacred. Um, Holy, spiritual, peaceful, special, beyond this world, vast, nature, love, energy, creativity, mercy, humor, fearlessness, energy of creation, compassion, civility, caring, confrontation, holder of all, um, fearless, powerful, luminous, Fierce love, all-inclusive, vast, like water, wrapping, holding. There is a deeper magic, true truth, clarity, transcendent, pure essence, timeless, otherworldly, the light within, not human, sweet, pure, humble, delightful, all-encompassing, ethereal, heavenly, eternal, complete, Teacher, nurturer, non-personal, energetic, all-encompassing, omniscient, divine, loving wisdom, embracing all, Sophia, um, fire divine, the holy, loves, the sacred, the connection, the carrier of wisdom, love, um, resilience, birth, life, love, earth, um, fecund, I think that's how you explain that one. Um, existing in a realm higher than our experience, but rooted in our imagination. Glorious, blessed, exquisite of, exquisite of nature. Perfect, inevitable, radiant, pure, vast, incomprehensible, eternal, unflinching, unfettered by mortality or human-made morality. Transcendent, to be a reflection of God. Pure, loving, source of energy. Mysterious. Um, in what way does it appear in daily life? Um, Sacred, holy, worthy, powerful, the mystery between the beings, initial energy source, heavenly, godlike, fabulous. Um, Spirit energy, both gentle and strong, aware and multifaceted. Um, I see pictures of a heart, radiant source, wisdom, compassion, Supernormal, discerning, um, spiritual, transcendent, holy, beyond words, luminous, divine, not stained by greed, anger, and delusion, connected, intimate, not afraid to see and feel what is true and here and now, not afraid to say and do what needs being said and being done, um, highest good, vibration, fierce, holy, whole, Strength, love, inclusion, one um, inclusive one, playful, joy, silence, surprise, compassion, kindness, patience, 
pure energy and light, beauty beyond words, love synonymous to what the eyes cannot see but the body can feel, earth, nurture, sister, receiver, giver, mother, lover. How many of you know someone who has at least three of those words in them? Can you raise your hand? Isn't that nice? They're divine, right? They're just divine. So divine. I mean, you can use that word for chocolate. This chocolate is divine. And that's one of, what, that's one of the, the things with words is that, uh, and that's why I'm a lover of Pali, that, the language that, that was spoken around the Buddha and Sanskrit and some other words that I have access to, is that um, they can become really specific. And just, just one word divine can have this whole bunch of meanings and aspirations. And for some people who wouldn't want to come today, it, that word could be something like silly. Like, there's nothing divine. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and, and some people that have come to Buddhism have been hurt by religion. And so the word divine ha- has negative connotations. So then we combine these two words, the divine feminine, like at what times is the feminine not divine? Right? How, how do we put the, the both? And so with the yin and the yang, or with any of these kind of like separating the world into two, um, as opposed to a spectrum, has been problematic for a species at times, right? to always want to be dividing into two. When I was studying as a monk, they would talk about the Eastern mind and the Western mind. And I was like, so the native people of El Salvador, are they Eastern or are they Western? The entire sub-Saharan African region, is that Eastern or Western? The Aborigines of Australia, is that Eastern or Western? So I found it quite arrogant, actually, to be separating all of humanity into the East and the West. <laughs> you know? I mean, I just did my genealogy thing, so I'm 59% European and 30% Native, and I found out I'm 3% Sub-Saharan African, and then I have an unknown. Like, they don't know. Right? But what does that mean? Am I Western or am I... So sometimes I used uh, European-based cultures. So we have the divine in European-based cultures, and then we have it in other... Uh, parts, and then we have that which is transcendent. Um, I want to share with you that when I was, you know, I grew up in a middle class, upper middle class family in El Salvador. And uh, when my mother left, it was in the middle of the, the Civil War. When my mother left, she went to Panama, and then she came here as a refugee. Her second husband um, was on TV in liberation theology. Uh, a liberation theology TV program, and it was, it was quite dangerous to be there. So um, I had to go live with my dad, who I really didn't know. And I would go every day before school to the statue of the Virgin Mary at my school, and she became my surrogate mother. And that was the beginning of my relationship with the div- the divine, because I would talk to her, and I would also ask her to protect my mom, and because that's what you do in Latin America, you kind of talk to these statues, and you know, and um, and so with statues and things like that, the other time where it became really 
tangible what this goddess and statue thing was, was in India. I turned 21 the day I arrived in India. I remember exactly the day that I arrived. And we were doing a, a research project and an internship. So my research project was on gurus, um, gurus that become famous outside of India and gurus that are famous inside and, and so on. You know. And we're talking about women who have to leave their village and go to their husbands, their new husband, which it's an arranged marriage. And they take their clothes in their little shrine. And many times it will be a shrine of the goddess. And that's the thing that they would have. And I just had a really big impact. I'm like, you're leaving everything you know, and then you know what you have to kind of connect is this goddess energy. So after that, I became um, quite interested in, in, in goddesses, really. I mean, you know, why, why have they been erased? Why are they so dangerous? But that also is a representation of something that we call the feminine. And what is that? You know, what, like, what does it feel like? And why, why are, how are goddesses different than gods? I would think about these things. And so I'm going to share a little bit about what's in the room uh, with the feminine. And, uh, and then we'll, I'll talk a little bit more and can reflect a little bit more on... Uh, it's something that be, that's been close to my heart, and it's, it's the first time in my life that I'm talking about it in public, actually. So it's kind of fun. Um, but, you know, look at this, the feminine as a cycle, you know, there's nature and nurture, sisterhood. And so uh, I have found men who are envious of the relationships of women, because when you're in a homophobic society, then the men cannot get close, right? And so this thing where now we're beginning to change, where men can touch a little bit more and things like that. But you go to some places, and it's like men are so closed up. And it can also be a stereotype. I think that there are men that connect in many different ways, like going fishing in silent with the guys. can be quite a connecting thing, I imagine. I mean, I've never done it. But I, you know, I, just, I just imagine that there are, there are certain things that men do that can be quite connecting. But sometimes it's like, hey, let's just go drink. And, like, and there's like, you know, and, and, and I'm not also, I have to tell you that I... I am not one to idealize. So I don't idealize women. I don't idealize the past. I don't idealize certain cultures. Greed, hatred, and delusion is present in women. Greed, hatred, and delusion is present in every culture I have heard of and I have encountered. Okay? So it's not like women are the best. If women, you know, if the, if the world was ruled by women, everything would be great. Um, women have greed, hatred, and delusion. It would be different, and some things would be fixed, but some other things wouldn't be fixed. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, and, and you know the fact that um, yeah, I can go into so many. Okay, this topic can be a whole semester of university study. We understand this, right? Like, you know, we can go really in our heads. I just want to go over it. Um, so, what is a feminine? Uh, talk about process of vision, center, embrace, abandon, balance. Look at the words that came up for this person. Love, creativity, beauty, patience, courage, life-giving, and sadness. Right? And 
that can be for every human. But what you know, what does it mean when it when it comes up in the, the feminine? Um, nurturing, again, receptive, receiving. Um, so again, in many tribes, we know that you know the men had to go out hunt. You know, there's these theories of like, oh, men can live together easily because they, they could live there. You know, like I remember they would talk about the nuns where I was living. The reason why the nuns are at each other is because, you know, men can live easier with with themselves because it's in our genes that we've been together as slaves and as warriors. Whether women were in their own household taking care of their kids, so they're, they're kind of catty towards each other. What's this narr- narrative? And so when I was at the monastery, and, and whenever the monks would talk about the nuns, I would be the one like, eh, can we not go into generalizations? You know? And uh, actually, last Tuesday, the nuns who live uh, in California um, have invited me to be on their board of directors. So I said yes. So I'm like, yay, I'm going to continue supporting the nuns. And there is something about this, you know, being a school teacher, where I can see how women can hurt each other by words. Right? Like, it can hurt. And you hear these things of, like, the boys will kind of punch each other, but at the next day they forget about it, whether women can really hurt each other. Right? There's all these narratives. There's studies on gender. There's, you know, we can get so caught up in, like, women are from Venus? Really? Men are from Mars? I read I, that book annoyed me. <laughs> I was like, you had just became a millionaire talking about you know, Venus, the goddess, and Mars, the god, right, and the planets. And I found it way too simplistic to say, Venus are like, you know, women communicate like this. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> right? uh, I'm not going to read all of them. I'm going to leave them here. When we have a little break, you can come and see them, and maybe we can put them in the library somewhere for a week. You know, people can see what, what people came up. Um, look at this one, nurturing again. Um, and I have the word nurturing in mind, and um, radiant, earthy, embodied, connected, creative, radiant, transcendent. And some of them are the same words. Isn't that great? Um, I'm going to do one more. Let's just pick this one. Small, gentle, hair, soft, sweet, nice, and caring. I want to talk a little bit about um, motherhood and virginity because there is a number of traditions that have attributed divinity to those two things. Okay, so for the most part, men cannot give birth. Uh, Now that we have trans men, uh, there have been men that have been giving birth, which kind of, you know, confuse people. Right. Um, so motherhood is divine. There, you know, there's this power. Uh, in one of my psychology classes, they were talking about um, just the knowledge of science, and I had never heard this. That, you know, in the 1800s, they would teach people, you know, the womb is just like a storage thing. So all the creative power comes from men, from semen, and then the woman is just the storage space where a baby's born. 
And then they would say, well, why does the kid look like the mom? It's because the blood got infected in the, when the baby was growing. So what we call Western science didn't even know about the women's productive system. And so that power even gets taken away. And now you see the videos where sometimes the egg is choosing the one. You know, it's like, it's like, but, but think about this. It's like woman's womb is just a storage space where the power of a man comes in, right? And, and then you say, the woman's brain is smaller, so they're dumb. You know, they, would, they would actually say these things. Women cannot vote. How can you possibly have a woman vote? Her brain is so small, she's going to make a big mistake. And so on and so on. And so motherhood, as um, divine, as a symbol, but also as life-giving, as, um, as symbols, have been, has been quite important in many of our cultures. When I was a little kid, I used to think that there was this giant woman sleeping on top of mountains, and her dream was us. I just thought that when she woke up, the world would end. You know, and that's, you know, now imagine if I, okay, so I'm a little kid, I'm thinking this, imagine that I start a religion about this woman. And so, you know, when I think about that, like, maybe that's how some of these things are created. Somebody had a dream and then they make it real, you know? Like, how can goddesses have the heads of animals if animals didn't exist when the dinosaurs were around, right? So you can go here. So when I, when I was in Egypt with some students, I don't connect with Egypt that much. Some people do. I'm like, ah, da, 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 Egypt is beautiful. Like, you know, I can appreciate the art, like, but but uh, there's no connection. Talk to me about India or Japan, another place, Iran. I'm so connected to the art of Iran, for example. So I'm walking in in Egypt, and then I see the lioness goddess, and it was like, who are you? You know, and it's vast. Um, and Ever since there, whenever I see her, I get really happy. I'm like, oh, there's, there's a theater in Berkeley that has her. Okay, so we have motherhood on one end, and now we have virginity. In so many cultures that haven't, con- haven't had contact with each other for a while or for you know, a long time, and I'm talking like 5,000 years maybe, there's magical powers given to uh, virgins, or if you're going to sacrifice women, they have to be virgins. Or if you, you know, all of, like, what is it? What is this thing? And then, of course, we have the virgin mother, who you 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 put them together. Um, I was at the Museum of Asian Art in San Francisco, and Saudi Arabia sent this collection, and you couldn't take any pictures, and they didn't have postcards, and they didn't have books, but they had a picture, uh, a statue of Isis. And she was holding her son like this. It looked exactly like the Madonna. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to take a picture of this, you know, so that the uh, Christians came in and adopted Isis as, as their goddess. And so in Christianity, the goddess has remained alive through Mary. I was in Mexico this year, and I see, see, when you have the lenses, when you kind of have the goddess awareness, you kind of start seeing these things. We have this huge room with Tenochtitlan, which is the city. And one path goes to the end of the city, and the other path goes to Tepeyac, which is a mount. So two paths out of the island. 
That path goes to the goddess, Tenot Sin. Guess where Our Lady of Guadalupe just happened to appear? Tepeyac. So now, Mexicans, I, you know, I saw them like going on their knees, you know, in pilgrimage to see Our Lady of Guadalupe, and Aztecs were doing that before at that same spot. So in El Salvador, Our Lady of Peace was the goddess of water. Okay, so then you find all of these, like the Black Madonna in Poland, you have all of these um, Virgin Marys that have stayed. I mean, think of England, you know, when they had to make Queen Elizabeth kind of the substitute of Mary. And so that many times this, this, this goddess energy has been needed by humanity to kind of have this image. Like, why? Why have we had this? Yeah, so it, those are questions that I have. And then what, how do I connect with that as opposed to have the, the Santa Claus God is what I call my, my grandma, one of them, very different from each other, but one of them had a little statue of the Trinity. And you have Santa Claus wearing Roman robes, and that's supposed to be God. And then you have a bird who's the Holy Spirit, and then you have a, a young guy with perfect hair and beard who was Jesus. And I was like, what is that? I just, you know, I couldn't connect. I just couldn't connect, right? But mystic Christianity, and I remember Zeus, I, 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 my Dhamma talks are jazzy. I just go into tangents. If you don't know me, that's just the way I am. <laughs> Zeus is the word for the god Zeus, and Deus is Latin for God. So Zeus and Deus kind of became one. So you have Zeus becomes the energy of the Western Empire. So then comes Helena. St. Helena tells her son, hey, let's become Christian. Let's become, you know, let's unify. So then Constantine adopts the Christian God. Now we also have a Hebrew God that sometimes can be. So we have all of that male energy kind of takes over the goddesses. And so what happens is that Whatever archetype, whatever thing the goddess was supposed to give to us, many times um, that's not present. So there's a there's something absent. You know. So the way that I could connect to a mother, because um, you know what happens if your mother is so narcissistic or so absent or so uh, that can't take care of you. You know what happens? It's it's very difficult. And so, sometimes then having that goddess kind of helps you. And um, so, I have to talk about that. So this whole thing about virginity and motherhood, I want to leave it to you as something that has influenced our view of the divine feminine in European-based cultures. And it hasn't always been um, for the good. We're going to take a five-minute break, and I'm going to open it up to a little bit of more of a discussion, because we can talk about so much um, on this. Before we do that, I'm just going to tell you uh, practically some of the ways, too, that I, um, nowadays I work with the divine. I got this goddess card deck from uh, Doreen Virtue, and you can get it on Amazon. You can, I, I saw it at What's that bookshop by, by Lake Calhoun? Is it Borders or Barnes and Noble? Yeah, they had it there once when I was visiting. And uh, it's goddesses from all over the world, a uh, little bit leaning more towards Europe, you know, Viking goddesses. 
And sometimes I use it as an oracle. So kind of like, oh, I need a goddess. And it, it's, it's been weird, you know? Like sometimes I'm really worried, like I'm unemployed, and I, I'm like, okay, I'll put, I'll put a goddess. And it's like, everything will be fine. <laughs> like, thank you. Or, you know, I'm talking to my friend Ingrid. I'm like, do you want a goddess card? Because she's like, I've been offered two jobs. She's an architect. One that doesn't pay that much, but it's environmental, and it's all about this, and one that pays a lot, but I have some doubts. I'm like, let me pull a goddess card. <laughs> so I pull the goddess card, and it's some Yoruba goddess. It's about, take care of the environment, you know, and I, constantly things like this happen. And out of the, let's say there's 50 cards, I pull out maybe 17. There's a whole bunch of goddesses that never come out when I, and I'm like, I don't know why that happens. Can I share with you the last goddess I pulled? And I was going to bring the, the thing and put them up, and I forgot. But, you know. Um, the last goddess I pulled out when I was thinking about, you know, the divine feminine, I pull it out, and it's like, get in touch with your inner goddess. <laughs> so I put it on my shrine. So, you know, I don't understand how oracles work, but it's interesting. You know, like, sometimes to personify, because in Buddhism, in the many realms of existence in Western Buddhism, um, we just don't have a lot of that stuff, you know, of, um, of thinking about the deities and thinking about the goddesses and, all, and the gods. Um, and it can really turn people off. Um, but I just kind of use it as like, what are the different tools in my box? And so for me, having the goddesses in my box and in my heart actually makes me happy and you know, whenever I can, I go to the Basilica of St. Mary. Basilica is a term that the Pope has to give to a special church. And I go in, in the main entrance, you turn right, and there's a statue of a young Mary uh, who used to be in a convent, I believe. And she's just like this, with some flowers on her head. And I just go and I just sit with her, you know. So if you, it's a recommendation if you like art. It's just this lovely image. And... Um, I was reading some of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He started the Jesuits. And here's a thing where you take a passage of the Bible and you put yourself in it. I was like, oh, I've never done that. And I went to Jesuit school for a bit. So uh, it was around Christmas, and I'm like, I'm going to put myself in the Christmas story. So there I am, you know, and you close your eyes, and you actually are walking around with these people. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, oh, my God. There's this young couple. They're dusty. They've been worried so much. She's about to give birth. Like, you know, when you see the Christmas cards, like, her hair is always, like, nicely conditioned. <laughs> and her robes are shiny. And there's, like, a beautiful animal. And I'm like, no, like, you've been walking around. You had to leave your town and you've been knocking on doors, and no one is letting you in? Can you imagine like being Joseph? Just, not alone Mary, but I'm like, my wife is like, she's about to give birth. No one is letting us in. My feet are tired, you know, smelly, like who knows? And then you end up in this place where animals are around. How stinky is that? And that's where you're going to give birth? You know, it was such an interesting meditation to just be like, oh... And you can put yourself that with a history of any woman or, or any goddess, some kind of visualization, especially for people that say, I don't know how to meditate because I can't stop thinking. Well, use your thoughts as your meditation object. And 
after you come out of the meditation, my experience, is that sometimes I feel the same as if I were doing, paying attention to the breath. Okay? So it's 11.21. Uh, let's do a little stretch, and then we're going to open it up a little bit um, and see where we go from there. So 11.22. Uh, let's come back at 11.29, so we can start at 11.30 for our last half hour together. Okay? So if you want to stretch, and I'll be here, if you want to um, give me some suggestions on what else to talk for the last 10 minutes or uh, any questions that are kind of bubbling up. And also, you can leave if you have other things or you're not connecting to this. I'm not offended, uh, so feel free to, uh, to take off. I'm going to keep a low profile. Uh, okay, am I on? Okay. Before we start the Q&A, I did want to uh, talk a little bit, some scriptural things and in Buddhism, and to really be aware of some of those dynamics as well. Um, there is, for those of you that don't know, there is an entire section of the, the tipitika, the, the three baskets, the, all of the Buddhist scriptures are divided into three baskets. And the reason for that is that they would take palm, you know, you take a palm, you, you dry it, and you have these little palm things, and they would scratch the scriptures, put some berry juice on it, and the, the scratch would take the pigment, and then they would wipe it out, and then they would drill little holes and create a book. Well, you needed all of these baskets to put these books. So they were like, bring the basket of the rules, bring the basket of the discourses, bring the baskets of the Abhidhamma, and so on. So that's what's called the three baskets. And there's a section called the Terigata. Okay, so Theravada Buddhism is the Buddhism of the elders, and, uh, and it's a male prefix. So the Terigata is the sayings of the nuns. So if you are ever curious, uh, look for that. It's, it's, it's a lovely thing where these wise nuns are speaking. In some of the scriptures, we, so we find again, the, as it moves into China, as Buddhism moves to the south, the stories that get told. So the Buddha has a magical birth, because that, that's kind of special, right? So. There's a dream about this elephant, and sometimes it's not a dream. It's presented as, as reality. And his mom gives birth from the side. Doesn't go through the birth canal. Okay? So again, this whole idea of like, what is it about the birth canal that people get? And, and in Mahayana, the, the Buddha actually takes seven little steps, and he's like, oh, hey, I'm the Buddha. You know? um, his mother dies, and so he is raised by his aunt, who then, uh, I believe she marries um, the Buddha's father. Do you know if he, is that the story? Yeah, I mean, because that was, that was what we did culturally. You married the, the sister of, of your wife, uh, Queen Maya, and then he, he marries. And then there's this, uh, the story of abandonment, where the Buddha leaves his wife and leaves the child. And I'm like, what is that about? And depending on how you see it, because the end of the story is that his mother 
and his wife become nuns. Not only do they become nuns, but they become enlightened women who then you know, go on to do amazing things. How did the, the nun order start? Now, in the oral tradition, there's all sorts of things that happened, and then there are people who wrote the scriptures. My suspicion is that a lot of these men wrote the scriptures. And historically, we, we already know that some of the scriptures are not, cannot possibly be factual. For example, the, the kingdom of Gandhara, which is now called Afghanistan. Beautiful art, beautiful Buddhist art. But they, they, in their scriptures, they're like, when the Buddha was here, he did this. There's really no way that he would have been in Afghanistan because he grew like way over on the other side of India. You know, like there's no evidence. But he's like, the Buddha was here. So they say, the blessed one said this, the blessed one said that. And some of the stuff is kind of sexist in the Buddhist scriptures. And I have heard people, they're like, oh, Christianity is sexist, but Buddhism is great. I'm like, be very careful because, you know, it's, it's all of these centuries of histories of men that have meddled in and have said things. And so women ask to get into the order, and they're like, nope, you can't come in. So it's Ananda, the Buddha's cousin, who intercedes and says, hey, let's get women enter. And then when the nun order gets uh, created, later on these rules come up where the, the women are dependent to the men. And you take these things and then it gets corrupted to the point of when I was in Thailand, I was like, why are the nuns being white, wearing white and they're being treated like maids? You, know, you go to the Vatican now and the nuns are saying we're getting treated like maids, right? And, and so that, and Thailand has one guy who's called the Supreme Patriarch of the Sangha. I mean, they just put it out there. That's how it gets translated, you know? <laughs> He's the supreme patriarch of the... And that comes from politics. Thailand was the only country that was never colonized. So King Mongkut, you know, the one from the King and I, he, he kind of solidified the country, he solidified the Sangha, and he just needed to do certain things, right? And so the nun order, the bhikkhunis, have been oppressed, and in Thailand they'll say, oh, they've, they've disappeared. It's impossible to bring them back. Um, Ajahn Brahmawanso, who was part of the tradition that I'm in, he was excommunicated for ordaining bhikkhunis in, in Australia, and, and so on. You know, so even now, uh, the Dalai Lama finally got it. I read the description when, when these women were explaining to him what it was like in Tibetan Buddhism. And there's this thing where he breaks down crying, and he's like, oh, I get it. Like, he, you know, like there's something that, that he gets a spark of. Like, um, and I don't know if you're familiar, too, with one, one of the nuns said, Imagine going into a temple and every image you have is image of males. Of all the ancestors are males, all the deities are males. Like, where are you? Right? Like, like, like you've been erased. So that history has also been in Buddhism, where uh, the stories of women have been erased or distorted. And whatever hasn't been distorted, again, that gets distorted by history. And, uh, and I, think, I think it's important to be to be aware of that, uh, because then how can you change it if you're not, if you're not aware? Uh, so Terry Gata um, and uh, 
there's also stories of very wise lay women, women who were rich who would donate, and village women who would come and ask questions. There's um, female deities that come and visit the Buddha. So they're there, and more books are being written about them, which makes me happy. I'm going to open it up uh, for any comments or things, because it's such a big topic. Uh, you know the Divine Feminine, and people might have thought, oh, I, I was thinking it was going to be about this, or I think it was, you know. Um, so if, if it's something that you want to mention or, or you have something about, and I, I don't have to be the one who answers. You know, it can be people in the room as well. Um, so I'm wondering if there are any comments or questions. And, uh, Thank you. Um, uh, many years ago, I, I used to work in the post office, and uh, there, were, there, there was a Native American there, and he was telling me about his culture, the Omaha people in Nebraska. And uh, I, I was surprised to find out from him that to them, God is a woman. And it just seems so strange. But now that I think back on it, why should a why should God be masculine? Mm-hmm. Why can't God also be feminine too? Yeah. yeah, you know, when I worked in a Catholic school here, Benil St. Margaret's, I would um, talk about this with the teenagers, and I'm like, how many of you kind of think that God has eyes? Can you raise your hand? And some of them would be like, I think God has eyes to see. How many of you think that God has ears? Do you think God hears? And they're like, yeah. How many of you think God has a penis? And they'll be like, did you just say, <laughs> did you just say penis? And I'm like, what makes God male? You know, because why are, they, why are you using father? You know, why? And, and it was just interesting, right? The Mormons have this goddess that people don't know about, you know. And, and, and again, Sophia, right, the, the aspect. And so, yes, you know, there's, there's many ways where, again, reality. And if you think of it as a duality, things can get um, not as interesting for me. You know, like the, the, the little blue uh, shirt and the pink dress. I was just in, in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas, where the Walmart people have created a world-class museum, the Crystal Bridges, amazing museum, world-class. There was a book on all of these little babies, and nobody can tell the gender because the babies wore dresses, whether they were boys or girls. And then the color changed in 1918 because red was masculine, so pink was for boys. And then this kind of light blue was for girls. And then somehow it switched, and then pink becomes feminine. There's nothing feminine about color, you know? And like yellow, how, like green. And I remember in El Salvador as a kid, it's like, oh, we're going to a baby shower. Everything has to be green or yellow because we don't know the gender. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> so again, you know, feminizing things. Uh, NPR just had a thing on language. So Spanish has gender things. So chair is feminine. And they've done studies that, depending on your language, you start to attribute, you know, like Germans would say, like, no, there's, there's a femininity in this object. And it's because of their language. So again, how many things are we getting about the... the um, I take Qigong classes once in a while, and, you know, my teacher 
has his Chinese masters, and, and he's like, today is a feminine energy cycle. You know, we are in a feminine cycle. Or it's like, right now we are in more of a, a yang, so it's more masculine. And, and, and he talks about, you know, the types of the body. So again, you can look at healing with yin and yang and feminine. And, and you're like, in San Francisco, you want to have male ginkgo trees, because the female ginkgo trees produce these things that are really stinky, like these flowers. And I'm like, yeah, there's feminine and masculine plants. You know, it's like, yeah, I forgot about, you know. And so again, there are things that, that manifest themselves as what we call feminine and, and masculine. But, uh, but yeah, thank you. Um, yes? Oh, you know. Um, thank you, Niels, for this presentation. Um, my name is April, and um, I use, I say, I'm experimenting with using the pronoun of they. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to say again also thank you for bringing that up right in the beginning. Mm. And it is because that I've spent most of my life identifying as, as um, female in the world and utilizing that pronoun because that is how I present. Mm-hmm. But I have um, characteristics in the body that are hidden, that are masculine. Mm -hmm. And so I've always had an aversion to having either um, a leaning towards a sacred feminine or a sacred masculine. And so I really, um, I guess I'd just like to hear more about how these things, how can we work with these in a non-dual way? And having it as... um, a way of including all. Yeah. You know, that it, that's called transcendence. And I think what's beautiful about Buddhism or meditation is that in silence and in mindfulness, uh, all of that disappears. There's no male or female in the breath. You know, I mean, you can have the, the spiritual bypass or like, oh, you're not a male and female. It's all the breath. It's the present moment. You can have that kind of dismissal. But... Um, I call it the zooming in and the zooming out. You know, like, oh, I don't like the precedent. I'm like, okay, zoom in. What is my body feeling? Where is it? Zoom out, zoom out until, like, yeah, we're this planet. We're in this galaxy. You know, like, I I, I constantly do this zooming in and zooming out. So what I would say is for you to explore the word transcendence. So as you're working with it, um, you can explore both of them, right? Because, again, when you have these goddesses that are warriors, that are... You know, really strong that are power, you know, like Kali. Oh my God, I went to this shrine and it was like, have you seen, do you know who Kali is? Yeah. Like she's, her tongue is coming out and she's holding all this stuff and they do this ritual where they break coconuts and what happens is you break the head so that wisdom can come in. Because there's a Kali cult that got in the news because they were killing people, but basically it's this fierceness, you know, or like that. And so sometimes people think that's masculine, to be like fierce and strong. But that's where it blends in, you know, where, where you can start seeing that it is really this spectrum. Like how, in what way are men nurturing? In what way is the holy? And, and the divine uh, masculine, there is a, a guy, Richard Rohr, who does retreats for men, and they get booked like this, because there's so much hurt in men. Right? And, there, and there's so much toxic stuff that, have, that men have to work through that 
what I would say with you is, is as you um, find what's useful in, in the duality, actually explore the duality. You know, what, what is in my head, in my heart, about when I think of masculine? And then it all disappears in the, in the transcendent because that, that ineffable moment, it's not an experience, what, what we call mindfulness. It, it's, it's so whole, it's what the poets try to do. To describe, you know, enlightenment can seem so like whoa, and it's like, you know, people have so many poetic names for the um, the naked now. Ajahn Sumedho, one of my teachers, used to say intuitive awareness. All of that is is uh, neither male or female. Hi, I'm Leah, um, and when thinking about feminine, my first thought was cycle and how this biological component of our cycle and how there's 50% women on the planet and maybe, I don't know, 50% of those are menstruating at the time. And along with that, there's this hormonal component that makes us vulnerable. Um, and how I, f- I feel like our society, I'm, I'm 43, and I'm just coming to terms with this. It hasn't been talked about. It's hardly been talked about in my female circles. And we just, it's, it's, ev- it's everyone in this room, right? So there's and in our lives, and um, it's hidden, and it's shameful. Um, we're unpacking this right now. And, yeah. But there is that biological component that's different for many people always around mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Thank you for bringing that in. Thank you. And, you know, with cycles, like, it, you, the moon cycle is so much more visually obvious, and so this connection, and again, where the moon becomes feminine and, and so on, because it's, you know, cycle as a, as a feminine aspect. But to think important. about the warriors or the... Yeah. Or yeah. You're speaking to this past, and, yeah. and those women were cycling, you know? Yes! <laughs> yes, yes. Um, hi. Um, first of all, thank you so much for this uh, topic. Like this is really like a reflection that has sort of uh, been been a major theme. Like throughout my practice is sort of my relationship with the divine feminine. And uh, you know, like growing up, like I didn't identify with a lot of like traditionally like male aspects of like conditioning, and I did identify with a lot of more traditionally female things. I had a lot of really strong female role models, and in the past few years. I've been sort of coming to terms with how none of that did anything to protect me from still being sort of infected by some of the the worst aspects of like uh, of like cultural masculinity around like sexuality and the male gaze and objectification and like lately I've just been uh, like seeing that like with a, a certain amount of clarity and like experiencing like a lot of like the tension between like the the pull towards those behaviors and also like the aversion to and like the resistance and like the like awareness of like the suffering that that those behaviors cause in me and others 
And I know that sort of like the, the Buddhist theory is like when you see, like it's the seeing clearly of how something causes suffering that allows it to fall away. But a lot of what I've experienced is like a, some sort of like self story making about that that just becomes like a source of like uh, like shame or, or self pity, you know, instead of like. I guess I guess what I'm trying to get at is like how to like work with that more effectively so that I'm actually doing like dharma practice that dispels delusion and unskillful habits rather than just like writing a story about how bad I am for having these these aspects of conditioning for for embodying them. Okay. So is it um how do you work with maleness and all the baggage that comes with it? Is that sort of where you're going, or is it a little bit, say a little bit more? Yeah, um, I guess it's sort of like the, the balance between, like, the like the conditioning of maleness and, like, how the, the toxic aspects of that hurt, like, both, like, women that I have known and also, like, the manifestation of the, like, feminine current or the divine feminine in me. Yeah. Well, you're asking a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Have you verbalized this before? What you just asked me? Um, has it, definitely, yeah. Has it been, of it, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, what I would say is, you know, continue going with it, and it gets really tricky, you know, because I remember also women asking, "Well, we're mothers. What are we doing to teach our sons not to do this?" Well, the fact is that many mothers don't have options, you know, in the, the society. Do, does that. As men, uh, in any uh, place of privilege, you are in a, in a spot where you can do things that people that are not privileged cannot do. So use that word, right? Like you have this privilege of a male body and, and you know what comes with it. And then again, the, the thing is, how do I become an ally? Mm-hmm. And in the practice, as, as you practice, it's like, yeah, what, what am I doing? Because again, sila, your, your integrity, um, it's so good that you're asking these questions. Because a lot of men don't. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I'm going to say is keep going. Because it seems like you're you know, just exploring, asking the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I don't know you or your path to give you more of a, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in a space where like, actually I don't know what to say. Sure. Because... It is a really big topic, and uh, and it is a complicated one. Right. But just the fact that you've said all of this kind of gives me the sense that that you're kind of like doing the right thing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's I guess really sort of an encapsulation of it is like the tension between like I feel like forgiveness, you know, is is healthy and it's healing and it's productive. But then there's also a part of me that feels like that's like letting myself off the hook. But then I don't I don't see that like <laughs> that guilt as like leading anywhere positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, forgiveness is an act of grace. It's it's not something you can do. Yeah. It's something that happens, and it, it it happens through a process. Sometimes the process is like boom, or you 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 do. It's a gratitude. You can do practices, and all of a sudden it's like boom. I feel it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have quite, uh, time for just one more. I don't know if there's a question in this or just a comment. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) What I'm when I'm hearing some of the questions and some of the things people are saying, I think about you know the feminine. We talk a lot about you know life giving, the mother, our physical being, and whatever. How about the women that 
choose not. They're not necessarily just virgins, but choosing not to um, give birth, not have children. Yeah, Yeah, I've been having conversations with women and the pressure they get from, uh, from society or, you know, what happens with queer women. And, you know, there's no place many times in the, in the narrative of society of where you fit in. Uh, it's incredibly oppressive. And, and so, yeah, you know, you have to you take it into your own. Um, this is a lively topic. I want to thank Shelley for, uh, so I'm on the train texting, and I'm like, oh, you got any topics, any suggestions, the divine feminine? Let's go for it. Right? It's like, um, and, you know, sometimes I've called her, I'm from the airport, it's like, oh, what should I talk about tonight? You know, and it's kind of, <laughs> Uh, it's my tendency is not to research or prepare talks because um, that was kind of like the Ajahn Chah tradition. Um, and so I apologize if you wanted more of a polished kind of like divine feminine and give you these big insights. Uh, it's something that has been really helpful in my life to um, to acknowledge the the artistic representations of the feminine in the, in the forms of uh, these divine beings, you know, if you just think of it as metaphor, you know, like there are people who say, Guan Yin appeared to me in this province in China. And I don't care if that's true or not. And who am I to question that, you know? And, and I know there are some things like with Our Lady of Guadalupe, there are some political things in there that the Catholic Church did in order to conquer Latin America. I understand that. And I do not take away the people who worship Our Lady of Guadalupe and say, this is helpful to me. They call her Madrecita, you know, my, my, my mom. Like, it's like somebody who gives them comfort. And, and so the, the goddesses in, in their artistic forms, like, you know, they're just fabulous. I just like, yeah, you know, it's a goddess. Um, it's been helpful to me, and, and, and also to think, to play with this, you know, gender roles, all the creations, and the, and the way that the universe has these kind of things that we have now called feminine, and this idea of the divine, what does that mean? All of those are just things that are kind of like, hey, let's explore it, let's play with it. So that's the way I've been doing it, you know, it's kind of like... Um, and what's funny is that, you know, you look at angels and, and, and they're so kind of feminine and masculine at the same time, you know, the representations of them. Um, thanks for giving me the time to be here. Uh, generosity is such a beautiful thing in, in Buddhism, right, Dana? And uh, I want to share something with you. When I came here, I, I didn't speak English. I, I um, became actually quite depressed for, for quite a while and I was in silence. And um, I got sent to this YMCA camp. Anybody have heard of Widgie Wagon? Yay! So I got a scholarship um, to go. My mom, you know, when, when you don't come from generational poverty, you have more chances of getting the American dream. So like mom, you know, my mom got us an encyclopedia at a garage sale and a little piano at a garage sale and she got us a library card. She went to McAllister to get her college things. You know, she knew how to do certain things. And so then we can achieve the American dream. But I, I went to Minnesota, northern Minnesota, and, they, and I was like, here I am with mosquitoes and canoes. But it was the first time, you know, that I drank water out of a lake, and, and it just it transformed my life. 
And so I'm sharing this because uh, sometimes when I, a lot of the time when I get the dana from giving a talk, I give it to charity. I have this game that I play, like if I were a billionaire, where would I put my money? So with the money that you give today, I'm giving it to the YMCA to sponsor a kid. Because uh, I've never, I don't know how Camp Widget Wagon came, came up in my head. And I'm like, it's $800 now to send a kid to Camp Widget Wagon. You know, and that's, that's, that's a big chunk of change. And the YMCA helps a lot. So at, uh, I've started to go back to Catholic Mass. I, I, there's this fabulous gay kind of community in the two blocks from where I live in the Castro. And many times they pass the basket twice. So one is for the church, and then they'll be like, Vincent de Paul is collecting blah, blah, blah for these refugees. Or, and so they pass the basket twice. So I'm just telling you that I'm, ba- I'm passing the basket twice. If you want to give it to a kid, um, in camp with G-Wagon. And I'll talk to Common Ground because once I'm like, what, I have to pay taxes on my Donna talk? I gave it all. You know? <laughs> I, have to, I don't know if they, if they should send the check to YMCA directly or whatever. But I just wanted to let you know that... Um, that generosity is um, such a, it's just such a good flowy practice, right? I mean, again, you vote if you want common ground, the building to be around, you give your money, and I have a sense that financially you're probably okay, right? There's a lot of generosity, but it's also good to think, um, think, you know, there might be a kid out there in the woods, and it's because we gave them some help. So um, that's who I'm dedicating it uh, for today. And uh, let's finish up in uh, silence. And uh, we uh, invite all the goddesses to leave. Thank you for being here if you came. Ah, May we take the feminine with us. May this time that we have spent here together uh, benefit all human beings. And let's finish uh, with silence. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.